This is Alan Weiss, and this is The Uncomfortable Truth. You know, I'm recording this in the middle of the coronavirus scare, and I mean scare. It might be a pandemic, but it's also an epidemic of fear. There's more harm being done to economies and people's well-being than medical problems. 70,000 people will die of the regular flu during the season in the United States this year. Far, far more, 10 times more then we'll die from the coronavirus. There are many people who have the coronavirus and don't know it. There are many people who experience the coronavirus and recover from it. It's very recoverable. Now, there are people at risk. They've identified the elderly who are weak. They've identified people with depressed immune systems. They've identified people who are very young, infants and so forth, who have problems as well. I'm not making light of this awful disease. There'll be more in the future. We've had SARS, we've had HIV, there will be more. But to go into panic mode, I believe, is inappropriate. When you close all the schools in Japan, you send all those kids home whose parents can no longer go to work. When you end conferences for months and months so that people can't meet and customers can't meet, you do vast harm to the economy. And you scare other people. You have a vicious cycle of fright. And right now, people are afraid of being afraid. They fear fear. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. Remember that? I guess that was Roosevelt. Nothing has proved the contagion of fear as much as the coronavirus. They are closing things that needn't be closed. People like to talk in this phrase, in an abundance of caution. That's the, that's the phrase. That's the, the metaphor. An abundance of caution. It's actually an abundance of fear. And people are closing things at government levels and at business levels. Companies are telling their people they can have no business meetings. They can't travel. Italy has closed down the entire country. And as I'm recording this, the cases in China have subsided. And the other cases will subside as well. The thing you have to remember is that the amount of cases can never decrease because once you have a number of cases, they will continue to climb as you add to them, as they accrete. However, it doesn't mean that the situation is getting worse. It just means the total gets higher. Now, to give you an example, a comparison, in 1918, the Spanish flu pandemic hit And it is hard to understand the degree to which it hit. The Spanish flu virus infected 500 million people globally and killed an estimated 20 to 50 million victims as close as they can guess. But to give you an idea, that's more than than all the soldiers and civilians killed during World War I combined, during that awful trench warfare and four or five years of war. And that's when the population of the earth was far less. They estimate a fifth of the world's population back then was infected. That would mean a billion, 200 million people today proportionally. And everybody's come out of the closet as a researcher and expert. Everybody has an opinion. It's like Facebook. You don't know who's a dog. One authority the other day said that 100 million people in the U.S. would be infected. That's a third of our population, more or less. It's interesting, though, that we're not as appalled by road deaths or by smoking deaths or by influenza deaths.
because we've become callous to those. We get used to those. And this new threat brings an additional scare because it's unknown. Even though we know the source, we know it's from the horribly unsanitary markets where they sell both live and dead animals in China, in the provinces, with the myth that they will cure everything from impotence to acne. And the Chinese live by this myth and they live by the slaughter of these animals in the markets or people taking them home to kill them. And the risk for disease is huge. I've been to these markets all over the world and most of them I find harmless enough, but when I went to one in Hanoi, it was revolting. And so here we are today, especially in the West, especially with all our sophistication and technology, deathly afraid to go out in public. I hear people saying they don't want to endanger their relatives. Well, fair enough. Don't go near your relatives. I can understand that. But I would remind you that no matter what precautions you take, if you're going to go out, you're going to be in transportation. If not planes and trains, you're going to be on elevators and escalators. You're going to be in stores where people are shopping. Recently, there was an event, that uh, an international sporting event that drew 80,000 people. I don't see them canceling basketball games. I guess there's a price some people are willing to pay. But it's gotten ridiculous. It's gotten politicized, as if blaming the administration or blaming the opponent's uh, conditions on the virus is effective campaigning. And it's a shame to see people so scared. What would happen, for example, if a spaceship landed, a legitimate alien spaceship landed in Central Park? Would we immediately try to cream the thing? Would we drop a nuke on it? Or would we wait and see just who the hell came out? You know, it was in the 30s on the radio, I think it was the Mercury Radio Theater, that H.G. Wells claimed that Martians had landed in the Meadowlands of New Jersey. I lived in New Jersey subsequent to that. I wasn't born then, but it's famous in New Jersey. And at that time, the Meadowlands were such, as you might as, say, might as well say the Swamplands, and God knows Martians could have hit out there. Well, anyway, he was so believable that people mobilized. They sent out armed people, cops, and, um, and God knows what else, and people were frightened out of their minds that the Martians had landed. It could just be, of course, that if they were Martians, they would have a better way for us to live together. I don't know. I do know the coronavirus is horrible. I do know it causes death and it causes illness, but most of all, it causes trepidation. And most of all, we have to be brave about it. We shouldn't be imprudent. We shouldn't go and sneeze on each other. But we can't engage in solipsism. We can't stick our heads in the sand and say to ourselves, we're safe as long as we don't see anything and hear anything and touch anything and feel anything. We have to be bolder than that. When I grew up, polio was a problem. The vaccine didn't occur until I was a junior, I think, in high school, somewhere in, in the early 60s. And then we all got vaccinated. But before that, we had friends who suffered from polio, who were debilitated by it. I had friends' parents who died from polio and were taken away in ambulances to die in a hospital. And we, we avoided public pools, which was thought to be a breeding ground, and you avoided certain other things, but you got on with your life. I don't see that there's any other choice. And so I don't mean to be harsh. I don't need, mean to be criticized people who want to take precautions. I don't want to criticize people who feel they may be at risk. But I will tell you this. Life is getting increasingly complex increasingly complicated, 
and globally increasingly interrelated. And we'd better get used to it because the way forward, progress, is not about fear. It's not about being afraid of the darkness. It's about being willing to walk in what light we have. That, to me, is faith. I don't know about you.